0: Hello and welcome to Illumination the Disney Lorcana podcast. My name is Max and I'm Sam. And we are here to take you through episode 2. And this one's kind of like a foundational episode, less so like specific to any moment in time. I really want to try to hit some of these like core foundation special episodes that we can kind of highlight and be like these are ones you should go visit in the beginning when you're new to the podcast or if you're new to Lorcana. This episode is about card evaluation and we are right on the precipice of into the inklands. Coming out, I thought it'd be a good time to talk about how the heck do you see a card and be able to make a determination if you think it's a good card or not. So I wanted to give a quick primer about people on the internet who say cards are good or not. And I want to just remind everybody very quickly that this is one to a small group of people speculating and testing. There's no way they can test out an entire 204 card set immediately upon cards being shown. It's going to take time for cards to be seen as playable or unplayable. Will there certainly be a 2-2 for one? I almost guarantee it. But... That's the nature of also being able to serve limited in terms of booster draft and sealed. Just know that no one really has time to go through every single card and really give it the time and thought it needs. While it is a good idea to listen to people and start to hear, oh, okay, everybody's saying this card's pretty good, so I bet you this is a good place to test. I think it is very warranted that you proceed with caution. And if you doubt something, again, like we kept repeating in the first episode, don't be dismissive of anything. Test it out. there might be a very good reason that this exists, right? Like there are cards we play that are less than great because they are very niche to the moment in time where the meta is. A great example of this is Hercules, the 6-3 resist to Hercules. No one was playing this card at the start of the set. And now because the format has evolved in such a way where we need to be able to hit different characters and take them out immediately and hopefully a repeatable basis, we've seen a rise in how much Hercules is being played. So I think it is worth mentioning that cards will become playable and unplayable as the meta evolves and simply evaluating a card. No one person or small group of people can do that very well. Even entire design teams for games have admitted that they've messed up designs of cards and didn't realize how powerful those cards truly were, resulting in things like emergency bans. Don't be jaded by the fact that you listen to this person. This includes Sam and I as well. Like we may be like, this card may just say, pay zero ink, draw seven cards. Maybe it's good. It, It likely is, but it may not be the best card ever. There may be a certain deck that like somehow doesn't play that card. So just don't put a ton of stock into any one or two people's evaluation of any particular card or cluster of cards. Does that make sense to you? It does. Okay. So I will table that for now and we'll start talking about how you can begin to evaluate a card, a single Luricana card. The first way to do it is in fact, by looking at it as mm-hmm. a single Luricana card. If I were to tell you that they made a one, one for one that quested for one, Sam, do you think that would be a good card? It Boy. would be
1: outright terrible.
0: Thank you for following <laughs> me and helping me. Now on its own, terrible card. Now, what if I told you there was an awesome card that shifted for zero that could be shifted onto that 1-1 one, one for one that only quests for one? That'd now, make it, better. it makes it a heck of a lot different of a scenario, right? So you have to start with the card on its own. You compare it across the board, right? So in my little scenario there, my made-up 1-1 one, one for which can quest for one is not good on its own. Because I can look over at Lilo, I can look over at Purple Maleficent and go, well, those are 1-1s one for one that quest for two. So this card quests for half as much. And then I can look over and go, well, then there's a whole bunch of 2-2s two for a single one. Multiple in each color almost at this point. I can also look and go, there are 1-3s for one. What's going on here? Why is this card so bad? On its own, it doesn't evaluate well. That's step one. Does it evaluate well? On its own merit, how does it evaluate? A card I think that is very good example is a real card, not one I've made up is one that i think everybody saw in a meeting it was like this card's crazy and that is the maleficent dragon card when we saw that the stats are enormous at quests for two and it's inkable and when it comes in it just banishes any character outright obviously ward notwithstanding that card's absurd it continues to be absurd it'll probably always be pretty darn absurd but there's a balance there right it costs nine yeah. Not every deck wants that card. Not every red deck wants that card. That is a card though, on its own merits, reads as a crazy powerful card. And I think pretty much everybody looked at it and objectively went, this is a powerful Lorcanna card. And I think they're right. Very powerful card. So then after we've evaluated it on its own, we know it's not, maybe not a stone cold bomb, but now we need to try to look at how does it synergize with other cards. I think a really cool example of this card is Ariel spectacular singer. On her own, maybe she finds a song for you. It's pretty good. Some of the songs are pretty good. Some of them aren't so good. But she replaces herself with another card, which is powerful, right? Because this is a game where you have to play the cards from your hand, not just to the table, but you also have to ink them and turn them into resources. So you go through cards in your hand very fast in this game. It's not restricted by different numerical sets like in Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, oh, I can play this because it's four or less stars. Or this is a land, so I just play it as my land for turn in magic. In Lorcana, you're using cards to balance both adding to the board as threats and ways to balance your opponents and answer your opponent's threats. You're also using them as resources to continue your game. So cards that replace themselves are powerful. So you can look at Ariel on her own and go, yeah, she's pretty good. But then you start to look at the singer, five on the three costs. So ahead of schedule, she starts to do very powerful things. And then you see the songs that she can sing. And now comparing it alongside of cards she synergizes with, you realize Ariel is crazy good. And she was an example of a card that came out and she was a couple of bucks, two mm-hmm. bucks, three bucks when she came out. And then there was a point where in the first chapter meta, the demand for steel song cards got so high, she went up to close to $15 because she's that good. Again, maybe not directly on her own. She looks a little anemic. She's not Maleficent but when you realize oh man look at the synergies here look at the overlap look at the crazy songs she can sing on 5 that's when you go okay, now we're talking about something pretty crazy. Sets in now. This is going to be the third set. We're going to have to look at Inkland cards, not only on their own, not only with the kind of cards they synergize with, but also do they work with anything from the older sets? Mm -hmm. That's really important. Or are they just role players maybe that make an old deck a little bit better? Is Cinderella ballroom Mm -hmm. sensation? She costs one and she is a one-two and she just has singer three. Awesome card. On her own she looks pretty powerful because we saw what something like Ariel did. So we go, yeah, that's a that's a strong ability. And then on top of that, we look at cards she synergizes with. Well she synergizes with this crazy seven drop called Cinderella Stouthearted that mm-hmm. can come down and just end a game and also synergizes with songs, which that particular Cinderella happens to be able to sing pretty well. Right there it works really well. Small Cinderella goes in as this role player. It fits into this old deck with some of these cards that it works pretty well with. She doesn't work great with a lot of the older songs because there wasn't any great songs on 3 to be sung, but then all of a sudden, with the newer cards alongside of her, Let the Storm Rage On and Strength of a Raging Fire, she's singing some crazy powerful songs as early as turn 2 for you. Mm-hmm. Opening up on Cinderella, getting to take your next turn and being able to Let the Storm Rage On, their 2-2 two, two for 1 that they played, feels incredible. And the reason the meta, in terms of a lot of the more controlling style decks, have moved to 1-3 characters to Mm -hmm. be able to survive that second turn sequence because it's just that strong because again storm rage on replaces itself so on its own it's strong and then you give a character that can sing it as early as turn two that is alarmingly powerful so there's a lot of good things that that card can do the lubrication to make an old deck a little bit better or the little cog that fits into the machine a little bit more perfectly is it a card maybe that a whole deck could be made around where maybe there was a deck looming in the background that was almost there, but not quite good enough. And then all of a sudden it pops into view. One of your favorites, the popsicles deck mm-hmm. kind of put Tamatoa on the map. Yeah. Tamatoa Tamatoa's a fan favorite in chapter one meta. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a ton of people trying to like play these terrible items <laughs> with like Ariel, who's it collectors and Tamatoa yeah. to try to win with.
1: And now items have just gotten so much better with the new set.
0: Yes. Tons and tons better. The items themselves have gotten better and the enablers have gotten better and it looks like things are just going to continue down that path, mm-hmm. for especially in the blue color. Seeing some item great items in purple, some great items in red as well. But blue especially is kind of cleaned up on a lot of items. Popsicle alongside... Hiram Palavisham ended up being a combination of cards that were so synergistic and so powerful that it created a whole new archetype or a whole new way to play control, which Popsicles was the control deck coming out of the Rise of the Floodborne meta. It destroyed the old red-purple deck. It seemed unbeatable for the first several weeks of the mm-hmm. format. It seemed unbeatable like there was to the point where i knew other game designers who were just baffled with how powerful they're like i cannot believe they let an engine this powerful into the game here we are many weeks later and pulpsicles is falling off you know what i mean as a tier two deck that not even a lot it sees a lot of play in tier two
1: don't say that
0: i mean (laughs) looking at tournament reports and pixel board data of course But it's kind of ebbed away because people started to realize, speaking of synergies, how powerful the Merlin and Madame Mim cards ended Mm -hmm. up being. And I think that was one that a lot of people earmarked as very powerful out of Mm -hmm. the gate. For sure. So tons of thought can go into this. And there's so many ways to evaluate cards. I don't want to scare you off of being able to try to use your intuition or your gut. You should take some time and think about how many things need to be gone over and mulled over. And then there may be something really cool that comes out that just doesn't fit in the meta. Where it's like, this is a cool deck, but it just kind of doesn't work because the the meta answers it so easily. I think a card that was on a lot of people's radar as a really cool card was Sisu. Mm -hmm. And Sisu suffers from what I'm going to call the Madame Mim Fox problem. In that, I don't know why Sisu's a dragon and doesn't have evasive, but she doesn't and therefore Madame Mim Fox can eat her alive. And Madame Mim Fox having that four power being the kind of the Rafiki replacement for mm-hmm. strength instead of the three strength that Rafiki had means that not only do they have a character that lets me pick up another character to then replay it for value, i.e. like a Maleficent, but it also gives me the reach to take down these much higher end characters. We see a lot of characters like Big Gaston, Six Drop, that's a four-four. Mm-hmm. Fox will take that one down. We see a lot of two-four that have a cool ability fox will take them down and some of those even cost as much as six ink to be able to play fox will take those down it's an oppressive card that has held down a lot of other cards simply because it exists Mm -hmm. lots of things to think about and lots of ways to evaluate because i wouldn't have i would have said sisu will definitely be played in a blue deck i was not thinking that madam and fox would come out and just completely wreck sisu i hadn't thought about that and a four cost uninkable that immediately gets answered by a three drop inkable that gives my opponent value means that I should not be playing Sisu right now, which stinks because her ability only gives you something Mm -hmm. if you quest. So that opens her up to be susceptible to the Fox really sucks, but that's how it goes. And I know a lot of people thought Sisu was going to be awesome. Out of the gate. Great card. Just unfortunate that Madam Mim Fox just completely wrecks it. But that's I think, a lot of what I think people weren't thinking about. Because I don't think everybody's just like, no, no, no. Everybody's going to be playing these Madam Mim cards. Everybody. I thought a lot of people were like, no, these are good. I don't think they put it as far as to this card is going to make a lot of cards unplayable because Mm -hmm. of its existence, which it kind of ended up doing, leads me into testing with cards. And that's two ways to do it. It's pretty easy, right? Like right now there's an electronic way with Pixelborn or tabletop simulator or whatever your preferred method is. And, or printing out a piece of paper, printing out a picture of the card, writing it down on a little sticky note and sticking it in your sleeve and playing with what's called a proxy. One of those two ways to test a card. So Sam, when you're testing out things, how do you like to test? What do you like to do?
1: I think for us both, typically we do the print out the proxies or write it down on a piece of paper and play it in person. That's my preferred way. Now that's not saying I won't go on Pixelborn and make a deck just to see if it works, but I definitely prefer the paper
0: route. I like the paper route because we can talk over can like stop you like don't do that because that's not yeah. good undo it and do this instead and see if that works so we can talk through ways to change things you can't really do that on pixel mm-hmm. board i think for us it's very much been a step one paper step two pixel board, or test it out in a league or something to see if it holds water and i think that that's a nice way to do it because you can fiddle around this game doesn't lend itself so much to what's called gold fishing and that's where you play the deck out against no opponent and just see what it can do completely uninterrupted it's possible you could goldfish, like maybe just pretend your opponent's playing 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 a Lilo every turn or something and just see if you can beat them. But that's what you wanna start to think about is if the deck doesn't function within itself or the thing you wanna test doesn't really work that well on its own, then you need to step it back a little bit or maybe it isn't such a good change. But you can always test and test and test and until you get those reps under your belt, you're not going to know for sure. And that's why I keep saying, don't dismiss anything. Try Mm -hmm. it. Try everything. It doesn't matter if it works or doesn't work. You're investing time. It's a step you need to take to find the right answer. That's okay to do it wrong. No worries there. Don't be afraid of it. To wrap up our discussion and and point us towards the end of the episode, I want to talk about some of our triumphs and some of our failures. Let's start with our failures first. Sam, tell me a little bit about a card or two that ended up not doing anything, and that you had earmarked to be a big player in Lorkana. Like, no, this card's what's up, and people are, people are going to find out. And then you're like, never mind, I found out I was wrong about that.
1: Specifically in Chapter 1 was Bell i wanted her to work so bad
0: strange but special
1: yes i wanted her to work so bad and just it wasn't there it was too slow
0: yeah from a magic perspective this is a card that ramped you Mm -hmm. and was your payoff for ramping right i was like well this card's insane
1: yeah she was too slow she got removed by the time it was time to quest for five that being said i do think that in the rise of the floodborn, i've kind of slipped two of her into my popsicles deck and i've been really enjoying it so far part of that testing that we were talking about i've been testing it for about a week or two now and it's working well and she's a better payoff because i can kind of hold her until i get to right before she's going to quest for five and it's a little harder for your opponent to remove her another card that i thought would be really busted would be beast relentless
0: the green beast
1: yes he seemed like he'd be crazy and we're just not even really seeing any of him
0: nope saw him maybe a little bit in initial people testing with like steel decks to deal incremental little pieces of damage like with robin hood and things like that and then use the beast to kind of quest a bunch of times just hasn't come to fruition yet i totally agree with you there i think one card that i mentioned earlier that definitely didn't stand out to me was ariel thought it was a cool card. And I was like, "Yeah, there's not enough songs yet for her to be good. And then didn't realize in the first chapter meta that there were plenty. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't even mind the probably half a dozen times total I sang Hakuna Matata. Didn't even mind it. Mm -hmm. Loved finding that card and being able to know I was going to ink something without having to think about it the following turn. There's a lot of things to like about her and I didn't realize any of them initially so she was one that kind of flew under my radar for sure and one of the cards that i thought was going to be pretty awesome that ended up not being very good at all was the steel legendary takeoff from first chapter i thought was going to be a really oppressive card it had great stats it had an ability that gained you lore and that just kind of didn't end up mattering too much is there any card that you think that you can now play like you didn't realize how ridiculous that card was when you saw it
1: Definitely flourish him.
0: Yeah. Without a good.
1: doubt. I, when we were looking at all the cards, I didn't peg that for being a good card or I didn't think that I would ever be playing like an item deck because it just wasn't, I didn't think it was my style, but him with Popsicle is just crazy.
0: Yeah. And then print Nick Wild to be able to get the Popsicle back after you mm-hmm. get rid of it and be able to just go ahead and quest with him and draw more cards and the card that you drew off the Popsicle never loses you a card. It's...
1: Yeah. Another card that I couldn't stand in the first chapter, but now I love having it as one jump ahead. Yeah. I love ha- having it in the first few turns.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you love having it when the time is appropriate to have it. Correct. For me, I think a card that kind of came out of nowhere that was a bit of a sleeper or like looked like a bit of a sleeper was Minnie Mouse, Surfer. Mm -hmm. She is an absolute bomb. Like there are very few decks that are red that are not playing four of her. She's just so hard to answer to the tune of decks playing pretty bad 3-2 evasive characters to be able to make sure that they can't let their opponent just quest with mini with impunity like mm-hmm. Fidget and Peter Pan and things like that to be able to just take her off the board if she comes down. It's crazy how impactful she is in the meta. Now, I knew she'd be like a pretty good choice, but I didn't think every red deck under the sun would be playing Minnie Mouse Surfer. It's crazy how good she is and how oppressive she can be when you're stuck underneath of her surfboard. She's just riding that wave to victory. Mm -hmm. So that is a lot of information to throw in to one episode but it is I think a good idea to things to ponder as you're listening to set reviews things to ponder as you're getting inundated with spoilers as the new sets getting getting ready to come out things to think about as you approach the new set coming out what decks do you want to play things like that so you hopefully save yourself a little bit of money and don't kind of run down the wrong rabbit hole so I think this will be a topic that'll come up a few more times during the life of the podcast without a doubt just because it is such a deep topic I can talk about everything we about talked about in a macro sense and a very micro sense for an episode without a doubt. Definitely approach anything that you hear on the internet with caution as always. Don't be dismissive and try everything is all very important. Sam? Keep questing.